Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence with us this morning as we celebrate this glorious season. Please give us your wisdom and your insight as we hear your word. Amen. Today's reading from the New Testament comes from Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 9. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father, or I will be his father and he will be my son? And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Do you like how I got that joy piece in there? Did you just you notice? Anybody paying attention? Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, we've got to start with a hypothetical question for this morning. If, if you had to live under the rule of a king, uh, of a monarch, an emperor, whatever you want to say, somebody with absolute authority, if you had to live under the rule uh, of one, which would you pick? And you can pick any one in history. So think you know, start going through the, your, your mind a little bit. Who are these monarchs and kings and, and, you know, emperors and things of the past? Who would you pick? So, um, I spent way too much time on this this week because I like history a little too much. And so, I thought through it a whole lot, right? But so, the obvious people come to mind, right? Uh, the most famous kings and queens of, of history. Henry VIII, maybe? Would you pick Henry VIII? <laughs> Especially if you're a woman, right? Um, Louis XVI, again, if you're a woman, absolutely not. Um, Charlemagne, not a bad choice. Uh, Julius Caesar, mm. Alexander the Great, mm, not sure. Constantine, nah. Napoleon, no. <laughs> Ivan the Terrible. No, yeah, it just if they, their name is Ivan the Terrible, that by default you can't pick them. That'd just be the worst choice ever. Um, so, so I did. I spent way too long thinking about this. I was really, I, I intrigued myself with the question, I guess. 
Uh, but you know, you know what my answer finally I decided it was? And, and so here's my, I guess, my top three list. Third place would come uh, Queen Elizabeth I. Uh, second place is Queen Elizabeth II, who is still alive, right? Still going. Uh, but my number one answer that I came up with was, was King Arthur, right? King Arthur of the round table, right? Uh, you know, the, the Saxon king, King Arthur. So the funny thing about that answer, uh, you may be already thinking this, is was he real, right? Was, was, was King Arthur, was he just like a fairy tale guy? Was he real? And historians are kind of split on that. It's a, it's, he's kind of an interesting character to study a little bit. But um, they think probably there was somebody that was real that he was kind of based on, but surely not all the, the stuff, right? The Guinevere and the Lancelot and the whole bit, right? All of that comes much, much later. But, um, I, you know, I kind of laughed at myself as I thought through through that, and I thought, you know, the best king that I can think of is probably more of a fairy tale than an actual ruler. Um, it's interesting when you when you know you look through history, you you find people looking for a king, for a great leader that will protect them, that will fix all of their of their problems. You know, C.S. Lewis would, would say that it is, it's interesting that, that humans instinctively look for things that can only be explained or provided by a higher authority, right? And we, we constantly are trying to replace that higher authority with some kind of man-made creation. You, you remember when the Israelites came to Samuel and, and said, hey, look, all the other nations around us, they have these good-looking, tall, powerful kings, right? And, and we don't have one, and we feel left out. We feel insecure. We want one. Tell God that we want a king so that we can be like everybody else. You remember that? Right? It's human nature. We want this, this deliverer, this, you know, this powerful leader. And so this morning, we are going to talk about a king. And not just any king. We're going to talk about the kind of king that God has in mind for his people. What kind of king would God pick for his people? Let's pray together. Father, would you guide us this morning through your word? Father, would you fill us with hope as we realize all that you have done to fulfill what we are about to read. God, would you change us? Would you make us more like your son? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this morning we're going to read in Psalm 72. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 13, and then we're going to skip down to, uh, to 17. So if you remember, we're, our Advent series is, is the, the songs of Advent, the, these these messianic psalms uh, that pointed to a Christ, that pointed to a Messiah. Uh, and so, uh, no surprise, one of our psalms, or our psalm this morning is, is one of those. So, uh, let's, let's read Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. 
May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy like the grass of the field. And then verse 17. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. So Psalm 72 is known through history uh, as what we call a, a royal psalm or a kingship psalm. That's its category, its classification. And, and if you were paying attention, it's obvious as to why. It's a, it's a prayer for a king. So there is debate uh, about the origin and the subject of this psalm. Many think that this psalm was, was written by David for his son Solomon. Before he becomes king, maybe, maybe David wrote this out as a prayer for his son Solomon. Others think that it was written by Solomon for his son who would take his place. Uh, and then the third other theory is that it was, uh, it was written by one of the priests at Solomon's coronation. We know it was about Solomon somehow, or it had to do with him. That, that's, that's for sure. Uh, But so after all of that, it continued to be used as the prayer that the Jews would pray uh, at every coronation after Solomon. So every time a new king would step step into place at their coronation, this was their prayer, Psalm 72. And then when the Jews went into exile uh, and and later returned, right, they come back, but they have no king. They have no power. They're just a people. Uh, This psalm became almost a song of, of a psalm of lament, a, a cry out, uh, a longing for a king in the future. Maybe someday we'll have this kind of king. Oh, Lord, how long will we have to wait? It was a cry, a cry, how long, oh, Lord? Now, this psalm is prophetic. Um, and, and as I told you just a second ago, this is a, a messianic psalm. It's a, a prophetic psalm about the one who was to come, the Messiah. So it's a a psalm about a king of Israel, uh, but it is also pointed past that, right? Further down the line, past any kind of normal human king to a king who would live forever. And so as we read this psalm, the question that maybe comes to your mind is, is, is this a reality? Do we have this kind of king? Do we have a God who keeps his promises about something like this? We, We need a king, We need a king. Has God provided that king? That's maybe our question for this morning. 
And so I just want to look at a, a few of the, the key themes as we go through it. It's a long psalm, uh, and maybe get some hints about kind of this future Messiah and the hope that, that the Jews had for, for the deliverer uh, in the future. And so let's look at verses 1 through 4 again. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. And so the first thing I would say, it's it's very clear that when Jesus reigns, He will be and is a righteous king, a righteous king. He is a just and fair ruler who will make everything right. The right people will be rewarded. The wrong people will be punished. Jesus will crush the oppressor, he says. He will destroy evil men and tyrants. Right? We see all this injustice as we unfortunately turn on the news and it just is wearisome. We, we see it all the time. And this tells us that Jesus is going to do away with all of that. I, I think it's interesting. The word judge it has such a negative tone in our society today. Right? Judge is, is a bad term. The worst thing you can be in our society, for the most part, is judgmental. Right? Judging, judging people. That's the worst thing you can do. Right? Don't judge me. Uh, there's a, a biblical scholar, N.T. Wright, uh, who reminds us, he, he writes this. He says, throughout the Bible, God's coming judgment is a good thing, something to be celebrated, longed for, yearned over. It causes people to shout for joy in the trees of the field to clap their hands. In a world of system, systematic injustice, bullying, violence, arrogance, and oppression, The thought that there might come a day when the wicked are firmly put in their place and the poor and weak are given their due is the best news that there can be. Faced with a world in rebellion, a full world of exploitation and wickedness, a good God must be a God of judgment. Right? And, and if we think about it for a second, we all long for that. Right? A God that can make things right. And the only way to do that is to be a God of righteousness and justice and to judge everything. There is so much injustice today. It seems like the wicked are rewarded. It seems like the, the righteous are penalized. But when Jesus comes to reign, the tables will be turned the wicked will be punished. The righteous will prosper. Doesn't that sound, sound, that sounds great, doesn't it? Jesus is unlike any king or judge that we have today. Have you ever heard the phrase, justice is what the judge ate for breakfast? Has anybody ever heard? Is it, has it, please, I, I just need to know if anybody's ever heard this before. I, I, just one. Okay, a lawyer has heard that before. That's the only person apparently... I thought it was, I guess, a more common phrase, but justice is what the judge ate for breakfast. Um, It's kind of like, I guess it's sort of like a lawyer thing, right? It turns out it's true. 
Turns out that's a true statement. Uh, There was an extensive study done just a few years ago that examined the decisions of, there was a a kind of a a, a panel of judges. There was these eight judges that they they studied their rulings over uh, over a year, 1,100 rulings. The results uh, overwhelmingly led uh, the researchers to, to the following conclusion. It says, the chances of a prisoner being granted parole depended on the time of day that the judge heard the case. To put it bluntly, the judge's ability to make decisions was about as reliable as a kindergartner who needs a, a, a snack break. Prisoners' odds for getting their parole granted started out high in the morning right after breakfast. About 65% of the prisoners were granted parole at this time. Then, for the next few hours, the chances of getting a favorable parole hearing started to plummet. This was followed by a cycle of peaks and valleys that repeated itself throughout the day. Prisoners' chances of parole leapt back up to 65% at two distinct times, right after the judge's mid-morning snack, and then what else do you think? Right after lunch. But if you're late afternoon... I'm sorry about you. (laughs) That's the way it is with humans, right? We we, we would all be, uh, you know, this describes all of us. Try as we might, no one is completely fair and just, except for Jesus. He is a righteous king who crushes the oppressor and, and causes the righteous to flourish. And more than that, number two, he is a reigning king. He has absolute control. Everything and everyone will be under his rule. Yeah, look at Psalm, or look at verses 8 through 11 of our, of our psalm. He says, May he have dominion from sea to sea, from the river, which is the Euphrates, to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. When Jesus reigns, he will take charge over everyone. He will control kings and rulers and power, and he will control those at every level. Uh, it talks about the desert tribes. These, these had a reputation for nobody could rule them. They were like a herd of cats, right? The desert tribes were unmanageable. And it says, Jesus will take care of that. And that's the way it will be. Those who have despised him will bow before him. Jesus will rule the whole earth. He's a righteous king. He's a reigning king. And the third thing is that he is a rescuing king. He delivers the needy. Let's look at verses 12 through 14. For he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life. And precious is their blood in his sight. Isn't that an interesting phrase at the end? Precious is their blood in his sight. Unlike many tyrants, Jesus cares about the needs of his people. He feels their pain and he rescues them from it. This is the essence of what Jesus came to do. We can forget this when we get focused on celebrating Jesus at Christmas. We we can think about the baby in the manger and the the whole bit. but, But when he came to rescue us, he came down from heaven. And, and more than that, he entered the saddest and the lowest of human conditions. He experienced grief 
and betrayal and torture. And then he died in the worst way possible. His unimaginable physical pain was accompanied by the mental anguish of being forsaken by his heavenly father. There is no darkness that you and I can can delve into that Jesus has not already descended. He's been there. You see, the problem with this world is evil. We see it unleashed on the earth every single day. There's no getting around it. There's no ignoring it. Evil causes pain and suffering and every problem that you and I can think of. And the only answer to that problem is the cross. If there ever was an example of unjust cruelty and abuse, it was the cross of Christ. But that is God's answer to the problem of evil. See, God is not aloof He's uh, to unjust pain. He is not uncaring or unable to deal with it. Uh, in all the religions and all the world, the, only the Bible reveals a God who personally suffered. He came to be like his creation and suffered on their behalf. He's the only one. And as you and I know the end of the story, right, we know that he suffered. We know that he died. But more than that, we know that he rose and he conquered death and sin. And so he really can be a king that is worthy of our worship and our devotion. And so I, I want to I close by, by looking at, at maybe my favorite part of, of Psalm 72. And so I want you to look at verses 16 and 17 with me. It says, May there be an abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruits be like Lebanon. That Recall any amber waves of grain? Any songs to you? That's where it's from, right? Anyway, uh, verse 17. So, so may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. Verse 17. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. You guys remember back in Genesis chapter 12, there's this time when God comes to Abraham and he's going to make this covenant, right? God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And he tells Abraham, he says, look, the whole world is going to be blessed through Abraham and through your offspring. The whole world will be blessed because of you. Well, this is it. Right? And this is an intentional reference to Genesis chapter 12. Right, That messianic prophecy we see back in, in Genesis 12. Here it is again. Right, May all the nations be blessed. May they all bless his name. I love as we as are here in this time of Advent. Right, Advent proves that we have a God who keeps his promises. Are we saying about that uh, just a little bit ago? You are faithful to your promises. Faithful to, to answer Israel's prayer that was prayed here in Psalm 72. Right? And so we know that we have a God who is faithful to his promises. And so when we look at this psalm, a, a, a king that can do all of this, all of what Psalm 72 says, is truly a king that will bless the whole earth. And if Jesus is that type of king, then he's, he's deserving of our trust. He's deserving of our loyalty and our praise. 
He is worthy of us living our whole lives for him and for his kingdom. Now, if you know me, you know I don't get too involved into politics because for me the temptation, maybe like, like you're the same, but it, it, the temptation in, in getting too much into politics is that it, it gets real easy to put our hopes and our expectations in, in something, in a person, in a, a mayor, a governor, a president, you know, whatever it can be, who can never live up to the hype uh, or they can never deliver on all the promises that they made. Right? Even, even a fairy tale king like King Arthur can't do all that we want him and need him to do. And when it, when it comes down to public offices, the truth of the, the matter is that we'll never have a perfect mayor, governor, president. And thankfully, you know, their, their terms don't last forever. <laughs> Even more thankfully than that, we have a perfect king who is ruling over all of this. All the mayors and governors and presidents and queens and kings and you name it. And, and, and this king that we have uses his wisdom and his righteousness to take care of the poor and the needy, to take care of sinners like us, giving us his own holiness, give us, giving us his own righteousness. And best of all, his kingdom will last forever. Christ, the king of kings. So this Advent, we, we can remember that we serve a God who keeps his promises, who is righteous, who rescues, a saving king of hope. And we can lay our, our crowns at his feet. Let's pray. Father, we, we are so thankful that you keep your promises. We are so thankful that when we look at a psalm like this, we know that we don't put our trust in, in some earthly thing. We know that no, no earthly king, no earthly president can save us is worthy of our our devotion and our hope and our loyalty. Only Christ. God, help us when we we despair, when we look around us and we look into our own lives and, and realize how much we need a deliverer, a savior, a king. God, give us hope. Fill us with hope because you keep your promises and you have given us that type of king who will make all things right. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?